2: These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the
0: leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.
2: Welcome to the Sixer Cents podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to another episode of the
0: Sixty Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson, with my co-host here, Christopher Pine, and our producer, Uriah Young. And we have a very special guest tonight. One of our contributors. He's been on the show before, Adam Gilbert. Hey guys, how we doing tonight? Good. Yeah, doing well after that one. That one was fun.
2: Just like Adam said when he when we jumped on, there's a nice moral victory with everything that happened. But, you know, we're getting ready for the playoffs. <laughs> So, so, yeah, for those that don't
0: know, which we haven't really told you guys yet, we are recording directly after the Portland Trail Blazers game where the Sixers lost a very close nail-biter without just Ben Simmons at all and without the services of Joel Embiid for most of the game. And I think we're just going to go ahead and jump into that. So, Chris, you want to take it away there?
3: Yeah, so as Lucas mentioned, we are recording directly after the Portland game, and we're going to talk some, I guess, pretty fun basketball, even though the Sixers lost, and obviously Joel Embiid went out with an injury. I think this was probably one of the more entertaining uh, Sixers games that we've gotten so far in the bubble. Uh, but, guys, I think we got to touch on Embiid first. He went out pretty early in the first quarter after tweaking his left ankle um, at the base of the stanchion under the basket. Didn't look like anything bad at the time, but he was in the locker room for a good 30 minutes before we got an update. He did not return to the game. Um, I'll let Adam go first. What were your initial reactions to that? And how much does this concern you moving forward?
1: I think my initial reaction was just, man, this is groundhog day over and over and over again with the Sixers. It just feels like every time we get close to like, the meaningful basketball, but the main guys end up doing something that gets them hurt. I, I go back to when Markel collided with Joel back on that first year when they, they made a playoff run and broke bones in his face and he ended up wearing the mask. So I, I hope the, you know, you have to think the best. I'm, I'm going to hope that it's just a tweak. He's day to day. Maybe he sits the next game and we, we see him on the second half of a back to back here in the week to come. Um, but with the Sixers, man, and, and these situations, day to day can also mean season ending. Is what it's felt like over the past couple of years.
0: So yeah, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, obviously it was very depleting. You know, honestly, after the the initial injury, I was like, well, there's no, there's, there's no even a point to watch this game anymore because I, I I honestly thought the Sixers were going to be out of it, and especially even before Joel's injury, you know, the Sixers did had a very rough start. But, you know, they were able to turn it around. But Joel's injury, obviously, I think we just need more information on it. And we're probably not going to get that tonight. If we do, it's probably not going to be great news. But we just have to wait and see. But if if he's going to miss any extended period of amount of time, I wouldn't have high expectations for the sixth.
3: Yeah, like you said, Lucas, we, we really don't have any extra information on it at the time of this recording. I'm sure that will be um we'll get more clarity on that by the time this podcast is actually released but at this current moment we don't really know what this injury entails. Um it didn't look bad again it looked like a pretty you know standard tweak of the ankle but you know Ben Simmons injury didn't look too bad a couple of days ago either and he's probably out for the rest of the year so you never really know with these guys. Um, so we can talk about the actual game now. The Sixers lost by just three points, one twenty-four to one twenty-one, was the final score. Damian Lillard dropped fifty-one for the Portland Trail Blazers. Josh Richardson dropped thirty-eight to lead the Sixers in maybe his best game of the season. I think, unarguably, his best game of the season. Uh, obviously, he was one standout. But who who else stood out for you, uh, Adam, watching this game?
1: I'm gonna go, um, and I. Uriah said it, but when we were getting started here, it feels a little bit like a moral victory, but I don't think that's a bad thing for the Sixers that the, the bench and the guys who, you know, our players on this team below Joe and Ben showed a lot of fight tonight playing a, a Portland team that is really good and is fighting for a spot in the playoffs. Um, the guy that stood out to me though, other than Josh Richardson, I guess I'll go, there were two guys, um, Matisse Thybul and Mike Scott. Um, Matisse, there were – he got baited into some fouls with Damian Lillard. There was one – well, Dame got a couple people on that three-pointer point that three pointer and one foul. He baited Josh Richardson into it too. Matisse made a couple of defensive plays tonight that, that you watch him do it and you just shake your head and go, wow, this guy is – like he's special defensively. Once he figures out that jump shot and, and he's a contributor on offense, he, offense he's really going to be someone for this team. Um, and then for Mike Scott, it's just good to see him on the floor again. Um, He went through some pretty significant struggles throughout the season in terms of having that jump shot fall. And tonight it fell. Um, It fell more consistently. There was one he took on the fast break. It was sort of a transition three with Nurkic right in his face um, and he nailed it. So it's really good to see that from Mike, especially if Joe is going to have to miss some games here in the regular season with that ankle injury, um, that we're going to see Mike hopefully step up and play well for the Sixers.
0: So, Adam, I'm really kind of upset with you because you stole mine because I was going to say Mike Scott as well. I was, was going to say that we saw the reemergence of Mike Scott. Um, it was nice to see that he played well you have, for all the reasons you said. You know, he struggled a lot this season. And maybe he's just bringing it out for, the, you know, the last stretch of the regular season in the playoffs. Hopefully that's what it is. A um, couple other players that I want to point out. Obviously, Alec Burks had a good game. He's had 20 points. Shot eight of fourteen from the floor, floor, one of four from downtown. Had five rebounds, two assists. Obviously, he's becoming that that spark plug off the bench, that sixth man that can really go get the basket whenever you need him to. And that's something that the Sixers have kind of missed for a while. Well, actually, I. I don't really know if you say that they had that person in recent memory. So, yeah, no, having Burks there acting as the sixth man, getting the bucket go-getter, you know, he's always been a good scorer in Utah and all the other places that he's been, Sacramento, um, help me out here, guys, Golden State. Um, so, yeah, no, he's he's been a good player. I liked what I saw from Kyle Quinn. You know, we saw a slight – you know, he's just, you know, he's a good big body. He gave Nurkic, you know, he was able to box out Nurkic a few times. You don't expect too much from Kyle Quinn. I like that. Um, I think we need to talk about Shake Milton. I think we saw, obviously Richardson and Burks had the hot hand, but Milton, I felt like he he looked like a young player in a situation that was a big situation and he didn't know exactly what to do. Um, And just go back on Scott. He had the best plus minus of any sixers with 5 plus 5. So anyway, that's what I had to say that's what I have to say. Oh, um one other thing, I really liked what I saw from Al Horford. Minus the four turnovers, he really started to look like the Orf- Horford of old, confident, you know, I-, I liked it. So that's that's what I have to say about that.
3: Yeah, I I agree with with what both of you said. I think Al Horford looked this is probably his best two game stretch. Um, in a while, really. I mean, he's played two really solid games here for the Sixers. Um, he had a really rough possession late in the game where he tried to take uh, Nurkic one on one and it did not go his way. But for the most part, he's hitting threes since the Sixers have been in Orlando. He's he's defending pretty well in space on the perimeter, even if he's, you know, a pretty big weakness as far as rim protection goes. And with Embiid maybe out for future games at this point, the Sixers are going to need to keep getting really strong performances out of Horford and Mike Scott, as you said, who played a lot of minutes at center tonight after neither Norvel Pell nor Kyle O'Quinn really did much at all with their playing time. Uh, But to go back to what Adam said, I do think Feibel deserves a shout out. He grabbed nine rebounds off the bench had three steals and a block. His one block was ridiculous. He covered about 15 feet of space. Uh, to block a Carmelo Anthony three. It was one of the most impressive defensive plays I've seen in a long time. Like you said, Adam, he's just a really special talent, a really special athlete. I think his athleticism gets undersold, um, you know, in the conversation, it's not just his instincts. He's just flies around the court has long arms that he uses to his full advantage. He's a really special talent. Um, it, it wasn't a perfect game by any means for Thibault, but he gave them some really strong minutes Um, you know, in a game in which they were shorthanded pretty severely. So I really liked what I saw out of him. And We we have it listed here on our agenda um, to talk about how the team played without Ben Simmons, but I guess we can stretch that a bit further and talk about how they played without Ben and Joel. Um, What were some of the key differences for you, Adam?
1: Well, I I think think the perimeter defense is one thing that was a big difference for me. I've been – It's been a little frustrating to watch how they've been defending out of the pick and roll since they've been in Orlando. And it's largely been a problem for them throughout the season where the guy who's guarding the ball, when he hits the pick, it feels like he dies on the perimeter. Um, And then the ball handler comes off the screen. And if it's someone like Lillard or book or like any of those dynamic guards in the NBA, they can then get into the lane. They can pull up from mid, they can step back and hit a three. And I think it puts Embiid, though he handles it well a lot, in this weird kind of middle situation where he has to step up and try and stop the guard from doing what they're going to do. But he also has to defend the big that's now rolling to the rim. Um, And he does it well a lot. That's why he's so special. Um, I think it's more of a weakness when you watch Al Horford try to defend it. And I think without like those two bigs in the game at the same time, it was actually a little bit better tonight. We weren't seeing that like vat of space in the mid-range game where those guards could get into. Um, Matisse, we mentioned we mentioned Teese. He was coming off of screens and wasn't dying on them really well, getting around them. Now there were a lot of ticky-tack kind of fouls that he was committing, um, but it was really nice to see them like just have that fight in the pick and roll to come off and and guard the guy and guard the hedge man. So. I really love that about the defense tonight even without Ben and without Joe.
0: Yeah, I guess another thing for me is more or less the confidence that you see the other players come up with cuz you know, we hadn't really had a game like this from Richardson in months. Probably what would you say? probably at least December if not, you know, like you know, he didn't really erupt too often, so it was very nice to see Richardson get aggressive uh Al Horford like we said he had five assists. You know, he was. You know, he had great three point range. You know, he was looking really good. And then, you know, Harris, he, even though he struggled shooting the ball, you know, it, I mean, he kind of pushed it sometimes. He was being aggressive, which I, I was very appreciative of. Um, the one thing that I wish I would have saw, I and mean, maybe this is just a byproduct of Richardson and Burke's being hot, is Shake Milton take over the game. You know, the Sixers were without Ben and Joel during that stretch when Milton went off, and we just didn't see that. So uh, I hope that we see more of you know Milton taking over like we used to. But it was nice to see Richardson come back to form. And it, like I said, it looked like players were starting to feel more comfortable being aggressive again. And Mike Scott's on that list as well.
3: Yeah, and I I do think it's important to emphasize that the the offense definitely does not run better or more efficiently necessarily without Joe and Ben, but but it does look different. It looked really different in this game. I think the ball moved really well in the half court. This was probably one of the Sixers' best shooting performances all season from three-point range. Richardson was 6 of 10. He looked really comfortable in a role that's much more suited to his skill set than we normally see him in, the same for Horford. You know, without Joe and Ben eating up space inside and on the elbows and in the post, et cetera, you know, it gives Horford a lot more room to kind of play to his strengths as a facilitator and as a scorer on the block. So I, I really liked everything both of you said. I think you both made great points. And I think, I think the one person we really have to talk about here, though is Josh Richardson. 34 points, 6 assists, 6 of 10 from deep. Again, maybe his best game of the season. You know, you could argue that his game against Miami – earlier on was on on a similar level but this was really josh richardson at his peak he had a few rough possessions on defense i think dame that's just you know a product of damian lillard being damian lillard but on offense this was about as good as richardson's gonna get so adam what did you see out of him that you really liked, and and what do you think his big night
1: I I love the fight I saw. That was my favorite part about Richardson tonight. And, uh, like, he would come up on plays where he thought he got fouled and he'd be yelling at the ref. He'd be mad at himself. He'd come down and play really aggressive defense on the other end afterwards. I I loved seeing the emotion from him, the fight, the desire to want to win the game. Because, to be honest, he's looked really lost since they've been in the bubble, maybe even a little bit before. He – and, and he never looked lost defensively, but now in Orlando, it feels like that's been the case as well. Um, I actually did the game recap for, for the Orlando game, the one that happened before tonight's game against Portland, and I, I had to give him like an awfully low grade just because you watch him go around and it doesn't look like he knows where he's supposed to be on the floor. He's not shooting it particularly well. He's He's jumping at things he shouldn't be on defense instead of moving his feet, fouling, getting – and caught in backdoor situations. And tonight none of that was the case. He looked like a completely different player. And you love that for him. And you hope that um it's something that we will continue to see going forward because this team is better if he's aggressive like that.
0: So you, you make really good points, Adam. I think that he I think the injuries really took a toll on him this season. And I think once he came back, he kind of was like, you know. I guess I got to let Ben and Joel do their things and not really be my thing. But tonight, this was the Josh Richardson that we, that the Sixers traded Jimmy Butler for. Now, no, that doesn't mean that we're going to see 34 points from him any, every single night. But an aggressive, vocal, you know, get, can get to his spots. I really like him attacking the, you know, mid-range where the, you know, fruit foul line was. I like that. that was, that's his game. And I think overall, I mean, the space without Ben and Joel in the paint obviously opens things up, as Chris has already alluded to. And I think it was a good – like I said, I think this game was good without Joel and Ben in the terms of it allows those starters to get confidence and get back to what they were, be, you know, what we knew that they could be before they came to the Sixers. And, you know, Richardson was just that.
3: Yeah, and I I think part of the problem with the Sixers as a whole all season has just been, you know, the roster construction doesn't really favor anyone at this point. I mean, it's just built in a way that doesn't really play to the strengths of anyone um, on the rotation. I think Josh tonight got to really step into a role that's more comfortable for him where he's not, you know, the point guard per se, but he he, he needs to get buckets and he can work those mid-range games, those mid-range shots. He can kind of work around screens. You know, that's where he's at his best, when he's not spotting up and when he's not running the, the, the offense per se. So I, I think this was a really good moment for Josh to step up. I think the offense without Joe and Ben is going to really favor guys like him and Tobias more when they can really lean on their strengths and scores without deferring to Joel and Ben. Um, again, that's not necessarily good for the Sixers overall. They're obviously better when Joe and Ben are on the floor. But on an individual basis, I think if these guys are out for an extended period of time, we're going to see some good basketball out of Josh, Tobias, and Al. And moving on, the other guy who really stood out for Philly tonight was Alec Burks. He dropped 20 points. This is his second big 20-plus point point game in a row. Adam, what did you see out of the Sixers uh, bench (laughs) flamethrower?
1: Exactly that. He's just a flamethrower. Man, he comes off and the bench and he just throws these shots up and and they've been going in right now. He's definitely a scorer. He's a microwave kind of guard. Um, He's one of the only guards on this team that really has that ability to come off the bench and immediately be hot, just immediately be able to throw things up from everywhere and it's going in. Um, I love his aggressiveness. Uh, I love, hate the look that I see him get sometimes where he'll bring the ball down the floor and it's like, Alec Burks is going to shoot now. Um, And I love it because sometimes he makes like these plays that make you kind of scratch your head and go, wow, how do he pull that off? Um, And other times it leads to bad shots, but it's kind of a give and take with him. And recently he's been absolutely incredible. Um, I love it for a guy who's had a standout season at Golden State, got traded here um, to play a prominent bench role and, with in light of the injury to Ben Simmons is going to get um, some significant minutes here coming down the stretch and in the playoffs. And I think he's taking full advantage of that opportunity. And that's a great thing for the Sixers because we're loving the production that he's bringing us off the bench.
0: So I'm sure you guys remember in the beginning of the bubble, Burks was on the rotation outside looking in. Glenn Robinson was looking to be that ninth guy. And then Robinson got injured. And then Burks took over, uh, and Burks has worked his way into, a, I believe, a sixth man role. And the shame is that the Sixes probably aren't going to be able to resign him this summer. He's probably going to get a bigger contract elsewhere. And unless they can move off of Harris or Al's contract, it doesn't seem like it's going to, you know, he's not going to stay there. Um, but that being said, He's probably the best bench scorer the Sixers have had in a very long time, probably since – I'm tempted to say Lou Williams, and I don't want to make that proclamation without double-checking my homework, but honestly, it feels that way to me. And I'm not comparing him to Lou Williams because Lou Williams is three-time Defensive Player of the Year, but he's that type of player. And I, I would probably put him more on the level levels like Jordan Clarkson, a type of uh, microwave type of guy off the bench. But in terms of actually having a reliable bench score, this is probably the first time that the Sixers have had a guy that can come off the bench and create its own shot and be hot and be a 20-point-per-game guy off the bench. So that's it's a really nice change of pace for the Sixers, and it's a shame that both Ben and Joel are missing time with Ben probably missing the regular season because Burks could have been a big part of a deep playoff run if both were held.
3: Yeah, I I, I like the Jordan Clarkson comparison, Lucas. And like you mentioned, the Sixers really haven't had anyone like Burks on the roster since Joel and Ben have been on the team. He's really kind of a foreign entity at this point, someone who can create off the dribble consistently, get his own shots when the offense breaks down. Philly's just really lacked that kind of player in the past. Like Adam said, he's not always the best decision maker. He can get tunnel vision at times. You know, you're going to have to take the good with the bad. But we've known Burks to be a bucket getter all season. He averaged over 16 points a game in Golden State. Granted, that was a bad team where he really needed to carry a larger role than you would ideally have him carry. But we know that he can get buckets. I think this is kind of what we expected out of him when he got traded here, that he'd be someone who could step in and carry a big role off the bench. I think it's a bit frustrating that Philly didn't give him that role right away, that Brett Brown kind of kept him in the doghouse for as long as he did. But I... I, I wrote about this, and I think we both—we've all alluded to it. Burke should be getting serious minutes once the playoffs start. Should probably be the first or second guy off the bench, depending on how things shake out with Joe and his injury. And yeah, I mean, I think he's going to play a really big role here down the stretch, just because he's the only player on the Sixers who can do what he does consistently, and they really need that.
0: I, I and I think we're we're well, we should probably cap it off there, and I, I want to change. This to because we alluded to this earlier in the podcast, but we got to talk about Ben Simmons' injury, and you know what that means. So, let me ask you, Adam, how does this impact the team in the short-term future, including the playoffs? What do you think this means for the Sixers moving forward? Well,
1: I I think Ben Simmons' injury can probably be overcome a little bit in the playoffs and what I mean by that is this team is by no means making the finals without Ben Simmons I really believe that Um, Joe's amazing and he's been amazing in the bubble but they're not a finals team without Ben Simmons on the floor Um, and I know we thought that they might be a sleeper for it but that's kind of out of the picture if he if he's not out there with them Um, he is the lifeblood of what they are defensively. And it hasn't felt that way in the bubble. No, Um, he hasn't defended great. He's looked a little lost playing the four. And I think that's what it is a little bit is he's been a guy that's just had the ball in his hands, then his entirety of his career in the NBA to this point. And then he suddenly doesn't have it anymore. And he's being told, play this hybrid four, where if you get the ball, try and run out and transition, Um, but if not, we want to also get it to shake so he can bring it up. And then you try and float in an area where you might shoot a three, but you also might not. And I think it's been confusing for him and it's thrown him off. Um, but he's that guy that if the series say is against Boston, can check Tatum. If it's against Miami, he'll guard Butler. Um, so you're missing that piece and it's a huge piece. So I think now the Sixers best case scenario, probably win, in the first round and lose in the second, especially if they're getting the box in the second round, because he'd be a big part of what you do to slow Giannis down. Um, but if you want to look on the bright side, we're really going to get to see um, what players like Richardson tonight, Shake Milton, Tobias, Teese with the extra minutes can do. Um, and getting them that playoff experience this year I think is going to bode well for when you come back next year and you hopefully have a healthy Ben Simmons, a healthy Joel Embiid, whatever the team looks like then, and then you really take another run at it. These guys haven't been together that long. I think that's important noting. Joe and Ben, really, it doesn't feel like they've had a healthy playoffs together yet. Um, so we have to be patient with the duo as they continue to kind of develop as a tandem in the NBA.
3: Yeah, that's a great point, Adam. I mean, it's basically basically been two and a half really rocky seasons for these guys together. Um, A lot of injuries, a lot of roster changes, you know, not really a ton of consistency and continuity. I do think they deserve more time together. I think they'll get more time together. I don't think the Sixers um, are going to move on from them either one of them anytime soon, despite what recent uh, rumors might suggest. Um, And as far as the short-term outlook for Philly, you know, They're obviously worse off without Ben. I think it pretty much knocks them out of any contention in the Eastern Conference. I wouldn't really favor them even in a first-round series, whether it's Boston or Miami. You know, maybe if it's Indiana, even with T.J. Warren doing what he's doing, maybe you favor Philly then. But without Ben, it's really a pretty bleak um, short-term outlook for Philly. And I mean, we saw it today with the perimeter defense; it just fell apart at times against Portland. Dame's gonna score fifty-one on, on even good defenses at times, but you know, Philly just was not on their game today defensively. And I think that's probably gonna be a, a pretty common theme here down the stretch. And um, yeah, I mean, that's just what it is. It's it. You got to reset, look forward to next season, and hope hope this doesn't linger on past the, this off season.
0: You know, I. I, you guys make two great points. I think obviously takes them out of contention for any deep playoff run. I think the thing that we have to look at here is how does this team look like built around Joel Embiid? And that's not to say that the Sixers are going to shop Ben Simmons. I don't think that's the case. But it'd be interesting to see how a team built around Joel, assuming that he gets healthy before the playoffs, uh, performs. But I'm more interested to see what happens with young players like Matisse Thibel and Chick Milton stepping up in Ben's place. Shake Milton will get full-time point guard responsibilities. And then Thiebel is going to be the best perimeter – is now the best perimeter defender on the team. So um, I think we're going to see that, and we're going to see what that means for the Sixers. And how those two young players develop with Ben out is going to be key to how they're going to approach this summer, I think. But I, sure. wanna, I want to – want. Yeah, for sure. And I want to – talking about next summer, I want to move into how do you think this, uh, this impacts long-term for the Sixers? Uh, Adam, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, long-term, I, it's just a next-year mentality. And I, I hate to say that. I hate being like, let's get ready for next year because it feels so negative to just kind of write off the bubble. There's still a lot to learn about the team. You want to watch and see how they play, how Embiid does with the, the added pressure of being like the man, the man without Ben there. Um, but it it very much feels like something to me where i'm like I'm excited to see where they go next, like what they do with a lot of pieces they've sort of pigeon held themselves in a little bit with how big Al's contract is and toby's is um you've got josh Josh Richardson if he keeps playing well he's a he's a really nice piece. do they keep him and try and keep him around do they they try to look to shop him and trade him for a different? two guard Um, one thing that I've been following super closely and I'm sure you guys have as well is this OKC pick uh, that's top 20 protected I've been a big Thunder fan throughout the the bubble experience just kind of rooting for them to keep winning um, so we can keep that pick Uh, we can't get too far away from our process roots of being really excited to see who we can take in the draft Um, but yeah I would just be kind of interested to see what they do in the offseason obviously Joe and Ben um, and I'd even say Tobias are your three cornerstones. Um, and it's a matter of how do you take young guys like Milton and Matisse Thibault, and build a team around those three guys um, that is built to make a deep run in the playoffs. It probably means having a lot of scorers probably means having some sort of competent backup center for Joe, whether that's Al or somebody else. Um, and it means having someone who can handle the ball other than Ben Simmons.
3: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Adam. I, I think my biggest fear is that this injury to Ben um, gives the front office an excuse to kind of run it back and not really address the major issues with this roster. Because even if Ben was healthy, the Sixers were still you know, on the verge of going nowhere fast. I still don't know if Ben was healthy, if I would like favor the Sixers against Boston or Miami at this point. Like, even when Ben is healthy, this roster is a mess. The The construction really doesn't make sense, and the front office really needs to address that this summer, regardless of what happens um, with Joel and with Ben here down the stretch. Um, I think everyone not named Joel and Ben should be on the table, on the trade block even. Uh, you know, they should be open to making some pretty sweeping changes just because that's, I think, what's necessary to kind of propel this team forward. Obviously, a lot of people are going to talk about Brett Brown I don't really know if this impacts his job security at all or not, you know. And, and I mean, it goes back to, if you know, the front office is going to use this as an excuse. Uh, but, you know, I, I think long-term they just really need to think long and hard about how this team works together and, and make the requisite changes because, it, you know, it, it's a bit of a mess with or without Ben.
0: So, Chris, you kind of hit it on there for me. The big question is what is Brett Brown's future now that Ben's out? And I honestly think that, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say that I, I'm not going to reveal whether or not I want him to keep his job or not. That's not what I'm going to do on this podcast. Sorry. No. listeners. But I will say that I think you're right. This gives the, uh, this might give the, um, Front office an excuse not to fix some problems. And I think that would be a major mistake on El Brand's part, um, whether it's to keep Brown or not. But um, I think you're right that everybody should be on the table. I mean, I wouldn't mind keeping Tobias, but at the same point, Tobias is more of a four than a three. And if you're going to have Ben play the four, you know. So with that in mind, um, I like I said earlier, I really want to see how Matisse and Shake handle this process. Uh, Adam, you bring up that draft pick. I think it should end if, you know, it conveys. I'm hoping that it does. Um, I really want a point guard like either Tyrell Terry or Kira Lewis Jr. Both players, me and Chris, highly like. I I think we can say that, right, Chris? For sure. Terry's the top 10 guy for me. Yeah, so so either one of those guys would be a nice fit for the Sixers, and I – So, in that regard, I think obviously Al has to be put on the table this summer. See what you can get. The good news is that I'm going to write about this soon, guys, so watch out for it. Um, I think one of the positives about Ben missing this time is it's going to bring up Al's trade value a lot in the bubble. And so, I think that's something that the Sixers have to really especially if Joel misses time, it's definitely going to bring Al's uh, value up in the bubble and it's something that The Sixers really need to consider this summer.
1: Um, And Lucas, if I could just jump in on your Brett Brown comment too. mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, I'm not going to lean one way or the other. I I really do like Brett Brown. I I know it's been a struggle and he's been been put through a lot uh, for sure. I really do like him as a person though. But something – an interesting observation just to make is you watch Toronto fire coach of the year Dwayne Casey, hire – a guy at the time felt like a nobody, Nick Nurse, and what do they do that year? They go and win an NBA championship. So sometimes it's exactly what a team needs. Maybe that's not the case here, but it's certainly something to consider.
0: And, yeah. and you're, you're you're right about that, Adam. And to piggyback off of that, if you want to hire a quote-unquote no-name coach, um, I really like Hunter Johnson with the blue coats, but um, – you know, that's not an endorsement or anything saying that I want Brown fired, but I, I do like Connor Johnson. I'm sorry for cutting you off, Chris, there. No. No, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to kind of
3: piggyback off of what both of you said. Um, I really like Brown, too. I think he's a top 15 coach in the league. I think if the Sixers let him go, he's going to find another team pretty quick, and he's going to do just fine there. I'd be really interested to see what Brett does with, like, a regular team that functions like, you know, a regular basketball unit. But, um, I, I mean, I'm fine with firing him, but that can't be the only change that's made. I mean, this starts with the front office and the decisions that they've made with regards to personnel. The roster really doesn't fit, and they, they can't go into this thinking. If we just change the coach and keep everything else the same, things are going to get better because it's not. I don't know if there's any coach in the league that can really make this current group of guys work to uh, their, quote-unquote, full potential just because, you know, th- there's too much skill overlap. They don't really space the floor for each other. It doesn't work. It's not Joe and Ben either. I think those guys work just fine together. It's really putting pieces around them that that can function at a high um, level. I think they need quicker decision makers on the perimeter, guys who are unafraid to just let it fly. I think that's a big complaint with Tobias and Josh. They kind of hesitate. They dribble into these tough, contested twos, and that's just not the kind of player that Philly needs. Um, you mentioned Al Lucas. I, I don't think there's anything Horford can do in the bubble that's going to elevate him to a level where the Sixers don't need to give up assets to get rid of him. You know, I just don't think that's going to happen. Even even if he averages like 20 and 10 from here out and has a great playoff run, the Sixers aren't going to get off his contract. You know, if I'm giving up a draft pick or two at least. So that's I mean they should probably be willing to do that, but I, I just think that's probably the realistic outlook there. Um, and yeah, just long term, I'm really not sure where this team's gonna go. I don't trust the front office much at all at this point. I, I'm I'm ready personally for some big changes. Uh, you know, I'm re- I'm totally cool with them kind of burning it to the ground and starting fresh around a and Simmons. That's cool with me. Um, like I said, I really like Brett, but I think if your argument is that they need a new voice and a, you know a new approach, you know, I get it. I I do think. uh, that maybe Brown's, um, you know, style has gotten a bit stale at this point.
0: Oh, that's right. You, I did comment that on Twitter, didn't I, last night? <laughs> no, but um, no, and and just to piggyback off the what you said about Al, um, I think you're right. But I don't think it necessarily needs to be a first round pick. It could be second two, like one or two second round picks, or even a player like Zaire Smith. I think maybe Zaire Smith needs a change of scenery just because of all the, you know, he's just had a, such a rough start here. And then with Mikel Bridges playing so well in Phoenix, it's just, it's not going to be fair to him. He's kind of in a Markel Fultz situation at that point. So I think if you could package him and, and, uh, out and maybe get somebody, uh, you know, of decent quality. I think you you get a win there, but um, yeah. I want to move on the conversation because, you know, we could talk about the future of the Sixers forever, but so I want to move on, and we got to talk about Joel Embiid's uh, you know performance in the bubble. And Chris is going to take that away.
3: Yeah. So I just want to start this off. I'm going to read a tweet from Kyle Newbeck that came out about 30 minutes ago, um, around 9:30 p.m. on Sunday. Brown was asked about potential limitations for Embiid with an eye towards the playoffs. He says they're going to try to find a balance between rhythm and prioritizing health with a lot of guys. He brings up Horford and Harris specifically, asked if they'll play the next game. He says, I don't know. So it doesn't sound like Embiid's going to be out long-term. It sounds like this is, you know, a day-to-day thing. And it sounds like the Sixers are going to be taking guys, um, you know, load management a bit more seriously here moving forward. And, And with regards to Embiid... Before this injury, before this game, he's been one of the best players in Orlando, in the bubble so far. Um, before the Orlando game, in which he was a little bit rusty that first half, he was averaging over 30 points a game. Um, I'll let you go first, Adam. Uh, what do you think has allowed him be to be so dominant so far in Orlando? And do you think he'll be able to continue that once he is uh, ideally healthy and ready to go again?
1: I th- I think so. I think... What's interesting is it feels like every season, the same thing we talk about is, is Joe going to be conditioned enough to to play as many games as we'd like to see him play? And load management is, is important with a guy like him. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing either. I think that's just kind of the way you have to manage Joel Embiid. He's so great in the games that he does play that you just have to be careful with his health. But he's shown that he is... Like Conditioned to run up and down the floor here in Orlando, and that's been really encouraging to see. Um, I think my favorite thing about what feels like has evolved about his game is teams tend to double team him in the post like immediately as soon as he catches the ball they're bringing an extra guy either from the baseline or from the elbow somewhere and normally it's off of ben's guy right because that's the whole spacing problem with the sixers if ben won't shoot the ball um without ben on the floor it does open up a little bit more for joe to try and find shooters on the perimeter and i think he's done it really well um, he looks a lot more comfortable. He doesn't tend to panic. Even before he got injured tonight, there was one play where he shot a fadeaway off of one leg and, and hit an and one with two guys in his face. Um, and that's just special, man, to have a guy on a t- on, on your team that can do something like that. Um, I'm growing to appreciate Joe more and more here in Orlando.
0: So, yeah, you bring up that fadeaway and that, he said he was working on that throughout the the hiatus and, I think obviously it's really shown. Um, now, do I think it's Dirk esque? No, not yet. But obviously it's a part of his game. It's it's he's added it to his game, and it helps him. You know, besides making smarter decisions, it helps him avoid double teams a lot easier. And I think if he can make that even more into his game, you know, incorporated more during the off season and next season, I think this he's going to be unstable unstoppable even if you have the double team and especially if he keeps on passing it the way that he has early in the bubble so that's why I think his passing you can't double team him anymore especially with Ben out you can't double team him anymore because the Sixers have reliable enough shooters elsewhere to make you pay
3: yeah I I think you're, you're both spot on I think with Embiid it goes back to something that Draymond Green said on TNT the other day I think it was really smart, and it basically boils down to the fact that Joel can get good position in the post against pretty much anyone. You know, he's bigger and stronger than 99% of guys in the league. Pretty much everyone not named Boba Marjanovic, he can probably, you know, fight out space in the post against. He's just that kind of dude. So it's really, you know, an effort and a conditioning thing. Where if he's engaged and he's on and he has the stamina, to, you know, go in and fight for post position. He's gonna make defenses pay every time, even if he's not hitting shots, he's gonna draw fouls. he's gonna get open shooters on the perimeter. Like you said, Adam, his passing out of double teams has been superb in the bubble that's probably this has probably been the best stretch of games for him as a passer in his career, maybe. And I think that's definitely the next step in his you know progression as a superstar is his passing. that's gonna be huge for him long term. And if he can keep that up, the Sixers are going to have a chance against pretty much anybody, even if the roster around him, again, um, looks pretty bleak at this point. So, yeah, I I really like what we've seen out of him so far. Hopefully he gets back um, into the swing of things here in the next few days. And I, I think what Brown said about load management is important. Embiid played 37 minutes against Orlando the other night. The Sixers cannot get too invested in any one regular season game here. I don't think there's a big difference between the four or the six seed at this point. You know, they just need to have a healthy Embiid, a healthy Horford, a healthy roster. um, Sans Ben heading into the playoffs. And I think that's, you know, a pretty big comment on Brett. I think that's really important. Um, and just talking about, you mentioned his double teams, Adam, is there anything else you've seen out of Embiid that you, you, you really like and that you want to see him continue um, as the season progresses here in Orlando?
1: I want to see him continue to just post up and bully guys who are smaller than him. Um, and he's been doing it. He's been posting up. I mean, you talk about Indiana. They had, what, Jakar Sampson, which is a process throwback. Look at that, Joe and Jakar going at it. Um, but he was just posting him up and going to the rim. And I love that out of Joe. That's, I want to see more and more and more of that. Um, is him just deciding you know what this guy is smaller than me he's not as strong as me so I'm gonna either face up and drive hard or I'm gonna back down and shoot that little hook shot from right under the basket because he can get it all the time He he's that big and he's that dominant that I really believe as long as he's conditioned in, in a way that he can keep his motor going he can get that shot at any moment I'd also really like to see him continue to emerge as a leader on this team. Um I think we saw that with the altercations and things that happened between him and Shake in that first bubble game with how he bounced back to having Shake's back against San Antonio. Um it wasn't a great look from Embiid uh, the way he referred to Shake in that game against Indiana, but I think the bounce back for him as a leader, he sort of realized what he did. Um I don't want to say like wrong because I know Embiid is like he's really in on wanting to win a championship. And I love that about him. Um, But I also love seeing him like bring the other guys along with him. And I think the leadership with him um, needs to just kind of continue to improve where he's pulling those guys along with him. He's saying, Hey, come do it with me instead of I'm going to do it by myself, whether you're going to come with me or not.
0: Yeah. I think the leadership is very understated uh, aspect here. And I guess the other thing that I really liked from Joel is the fact that him and Horford are finally playing well together on the court. Now, granted, that's without Ben, but I think that their chemistry as two bigs has finally finally clicked. And a part of this has to be the the great play that Horford's done after the first uh, game against Indiana. Horford's really stepped it up since then, but I think overall, you, we can't deny that those two have had great chemistry when they had come on the court. And I think that, you know, part of that's Horford, but part of that's Joel as well. And I, I just, overall, I think it's a good look for the Sixers now that, that that's finally working between those two bigs. Yeah, and going back to what Adam
3: said about bully ball and, and going back to what Draymond said on TNT, I mean, Embiid drew two fouls on Yusuf Nurkic in this game before like the minute and a half mark in the first quarter. Like, it was about 90 seconds in and Nurkic already had to be subbed out because Joe just got him into compromised positions and drew contact. And, and Nurkic is one of the strongest dudes in the league. You know, his nickname is the Bosnian Beast. He's, he's not a lightweight. So I, I think that just speaks to how how strong and physical Joel can be when he wants to be. And like you said, Lucas, I, I, I do think that, um, you know, with Embiid, it's just important for him to to really kind of continue to step up as a leader. I think his energy goes a long way in carrying this team on. We saw that in the uh, San Antonio game as well as the Orlando game. I think he played a big role in Shakes' bounce back after the rough first game in Indiana. He kind of played the hype man in that game. You know, when Joe's energetic, I think the team uh, functions much better around him. So I, th- I think that's a big, really big step for him as well. And um, I'm excited to see what he does once he's back on the court.
0: So I think we're at a good place to pivot uh, Talking about Joel's game To talking about Joel's fashion And as some of you may know Joel Embiid is the f- only big man To get a signature shoe in the NBA With Under Armour And uh, he just debuted it for the first time I I, I believe against the Orlando Magic And uh, so Guys what do, uh, And especially Adam you, uh, I would like your uh, input first What do you think about the Do, do you like the design?
1: Yes <laughs> I love the design. I love everything about Joel Embiid. So I'm never going to talk ill about him. Um, I believe the colors on it are either after the Cameroon flag or it has some sort of speaking to his origins in Africa, which I love. Um, I love that he gets that in there because it's just so Joe. You think about the transformation of that skinny kid um, that came from there into what he is now. And it's really just a story in itself. I think Joe's even said his life is felt like a little bit of a movie um as he's grown to playing basketball in the nba so i love that origin flashback and it's simple but it works it's it's exciting to have a a player um in philly that has his own shoe and it makes me want to go out and buy it did you guys see um steph curry's imitation of joe uh, welcoming welcoming him to the under armor family because that was pretty funny
0: i sadly did not yet yeah, i'm gonna have to look that up
3: yeah, no, I saw it. I, I really, I thought it was pretty spot on.
0: So, Chris, what do you think about the design, though?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I I thought it was pretty good. You know, I'm not much of a sneakerhead or anything. I've I've never been one to follow shoe culture or anything like that. But I, I thought they looked good. I know Under Armour has taken a lot of flack in the past, uh, especially for step shoes. I know that uh, you know Under Armour has you know not been you know, maybe a favorite on NBA Twitter because of Curry's uh, lackluster signature shoes in the past. But I think they got a pretty, you know, they did pretty good with Joe's shoes. Um, I like them a lot. Like Adam said, they seem to have a personal meaning for Embiid, which is nice. And I, I won't be buying any because I don't have that kind of money. But, you know, they, they look good. And if you want to support, you know, Joel and the Sixers, you know, um, it could do worse.
0: So, yeah, no, I love big men's shoes. I, I remember my first pair of basketball shoes in seventh grade were shacks. And uh, I still like shacks. I can't find them for the life of me. I can find and ones, but I can't find shacks. Um, not for adults anyway. Um, that being
2: said. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have to jump in here. I'm sorry, guys. Yes, you're I.
0: Right. Lucas, you had a pair of shacks. I did, and I am not wow. ashamed of it. I, <laughs> yes. And you know what? I played for power you, forward in middle for school. You. Yeah, you know what? I played power forward in middle school, and I rocked it because I had some post moves. Let me tell you. Good for <laughs> you, man.
2: Dad, hey, that's part of your childhood. Good for you. Stand up for Shaq. He's actually a pretty brilliant um, businessman. I'm sure you guys know about all his all of his ventures. So good for you, man. Just thought I'd, I'd never well, heard. Hold on, hold
0: on. you make it sound like the Shaqs were bad.
2: Did you not like the Shacks, Uriah? I, it's not that I didn't like them. I just didn't see how the NBA or they could market that type of shoe to, you know, kids who like to dribble a lot and shoot three-pointers. But, hey, you were a big guy. That's You played center. You played forward, right? So it fit your game. Do you like the shoe design? I love the shoe design. I actually was reading a lot about the, um, the inception of the idea, and, and I think Adam was referring to – Kind of tying in part of his roots, going back to his home country. I I think that's pretty cool, and I think that's going to be one of the next articles that I write. Which is, um, I believe that Embiid's going to be able to sell shoes as a center, even though they're marketing it as uh, a shoe that anybody can wear, no matter what position you play.
0: So yeah, and and that's I think that's part of the brilliance because Joel doesn't see himself as a center you know he does all the guard stuff all the time we see it in the games you know he likes to dribble in between his legs sometimes or you know bring the ball up occasionally that's just joel yeah. and so so i think the shoes in that regard fit him well I w- now when i looked at the actual shoes i wish there was a little bit more ankle support i have we- i have my i have ankle problems sometimes when i play but um and you know obviously especially after this game maybe they should have had a little bit more ankle support you know i'm not trying to knock it or anything but Overall, I love the concept of it. It's not like most players' you know signature shoes that have like team colors. It represents who he is versus the team, and I like that. And so I think that it's going to do well. I, I, you know, I think I like it, and I pro- and if you know if I get the money together, I'm going to try to get it myself too. But I want to move on, and we kind, you and I kind of touched on this when he he said he was going to write about it. But do you guys think it's going to? Sell well, considering that most you know big men's shoes, like the shacks, as Uriah said, did not sell that well,
1: well, I mean they sold with you right, Lucas, so they
0: that's, did that's sell that's with somebody <laughs> hey, you know what? I love me some ankle support, and you know what that's 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 all I really need to play basketball ankle support
1: if there's one thing I'm sure Shaq needed as that big body, he needed that ankle support uh but no i I actually do think they will. I know the Steph Curry's did well enough for themselves, he's just such like. Curry's such a like change the game kind of player where kids just want to be like Curry. I don't know if I see the same thing being the case with Embiid, um, but I think his personality is big enough that people are going to be attracted to his shoe. Um, He's outspoken. He's fun to watch when he's um, taunting the crowd and, and doing the Embiid like, yeah, give me some of this when he puts his arms out. So I love that about him. I think it's going to bring people to his shoe, and I hope they do well because, I, like I said, I love everything about Joe.
3: Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not, like, super well-versed in the business side of the shoe market, but um, MB doesn't have maybe the universal adoration that Steph does. I don't think he's quite on, on that level in terms of popularity, but he's a pretty marketable guy. He already has plenty of commercials on TV. He's, he's fun to watch. He's fun to be around, I assume. He's someone that, you know, Philadelphia for sure has definitely fallen in love with. So I, I'm sure they'll be able to market them just fine. I, I know a lot of the attention with shoes nowadays is on Nike and on Jordan. Um, the last really big like non-Nike shoe that I can think of, you know, is like the Derrick Rose shoes with Adidas. You know, mm-hmm. but you know maybe Joel and, and and Steph can kind of help. You know, turn the tide towards Under Armour and get a, get another big player in the game because again, I do like the shoes. I think they look good. Um, and I mean I I would wear them if I had them I I don't see any problems with them
0: so I'm looking at this from a cultural aspect right now right now our country is going through a lot of changes uh, including you know the empowerment of the African American community and you know having a shoe that relates to you know know, Africa or a particular country within Africa and representing the colors very well in that I think that's going to that's an area that the marketing people could probably really, uh, you know, help fuel sales. in. I think that could be a really strong message uh, way to get the shoe sales there too. Um, I'm not a fan of Under Armour. I've never bought a pair of their shoes. Getting his shoes would be my first pair, but uh, cause I kind of just don't like the, I, they feel too light most of the time. But you know, that being said, I, I think that it's going to sell well. Um, but I think, you have i think with the movements in this country where it is i think it's something that we have to that the mbeads marketing people would have to consider trying to you know uh capitalize on so if let's say they have commercial for these shoes what comedian do you think would be a perfect co-star to mbead in the sneaker commercial guys
1: i have got to go with spike lee here um I love this idea, and maybe it's a little bit foreign because back in the day, Spike was very – the Knicks, like, Pacers was that big rivalry, and I remember the stuff that he got into with Reggie Miller, the taunting back and forth. I just think that would be a great – platform to like throw Joe into that as like the new day of that is Spike and and Joel Embiid going back and forth just cause I know Joe went through a stretch where he was trying to be this, this more serious player, but my favorite version of Joe is the guy that threw a windmill down in the series against Toronto and runs back the other way doing the airplane or he does the Millie rock after hitting that three against Atlanta, uh, Atlanta earlier this year. Um, I love it when he's taunting and, and playing to the crowd. So I think a back and forth between him and Spike Lee would be so entertaining as a commercial.
3: Yeah, I mean I I I'm not really super um in tune with the Spike Lee Michael Jordan stuff on um, that in those commercials that have happened in the past. But I, I know Spike has been around the NBA for a long time. I I really love Spike as a person, as a filmmaker. He's he's made some great movies um i recommend his new movie on netflix the five bloods to anyone great stuff go watch it um and i I just really like spike as a person i think he has a great energy that would play well off of Embiid's energy like you said adam um i mean john mulaney's a great comedian in general he can make just about anything funny so you know maybe he could do something but yeah i mean I, i like spike lee i think that's a good pick even if he's not you know a comedian per se uh, he he's a funny guy and he, he, he's a
0: very energetic person. And I, I really would like that, uh, that duo. So you guys are missing the obvious choice here. I'm going to go with the Philadelphia native and former celebrity all-star MVP comedian, Kevin Hart. Oh
3: yeah. Okay.
0: Ding, ding, ding. Kevin Hart. <laughs> yep. Kevin Hart. Going? He's, he's a really funny guy. Right. You know, he, he's really short so he can play that sh- tall, short dynamic with with M B that, you know, most other comedians couldn't. I mean, I think maybe Spike Lee could because he's pretty short too. But um, like I said, you know, and he, Kevin Hart's an a icon right now. I mean, he's starting to go on a slight decline. But overall, he's still very uh, popular. So I think he, in the fact that he has ties to Philadelphia and, you know, the NBA already, I think
2: he's the obvious choice there. Can I? Yeah. Can I just? I just want to say that all your picks were great, and that the first one, Adam, you said Spike Lee. I n- never thought that Spike could could jump in there and, and I guess tune into what's going on today because he's so kind of out of the, the the spotlight, even though he did have a, a recent movie. Like Chris said, uh, of course, I think the, the the obvious one is Kevin Hart, but like you said, Chris, I think John Mulaney. He 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 is a brilliant brilliant actor slash comedian. I think he could pull it off too.
0: Remind me who John Mulaney is. I know I'm uncultured, but
3: what was he in again? I mean, he's, he has a few specials on Netflix that are all really great. Like he might just have my three favorite, you know, comedy specials period that I've watched.
2: Has he hosted SNL? I, I'm pretty sure he yeah, hosted SNL. I believe SNL. he has. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right for SNL. And he's hosted once or twice, I think. Yeah. He's hilarious. He's hilarious. He's
0: absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I know him and when I see his face, I'm gonna be like,
2: oh, that's
0: who he is. But I, I know the name, I just can't put the face to the name right now, and it's really bugging me. Let me Chris, Google this real quick.
2: Chris, I'm gonna reach out to the uh, I'm gonna reach out to my my contacts with Under Armour and I think they should make you the creative director. For the new Embiid ones, and you're going to get John Mulaney in the commercial.
3: <laughs> there you go. I appreciate. Let's get it. all
1: three, man. Let's just pile. Yeah, let do. Let's
3: get Spike, Kevin, and John all in the same <laughs> commercial. I think let's that'd be go fun. Go for it.
0: That would be fun. Oh, I know who he is. Okay, I feel really silly now. It's okay. We forgive you. Now you're. Co- I do your culture culture oh. the one issue. Oh, okay. Spike. That's where I know the name from. Yeah, he's on a Netflix show that I'm watching, but I'm not, not going to name it right now. Um, but moving on, and I think, Chris, you're going to take up this next one. Thoughts about the players stepping up uh, while Simmons is out? Any players that really stick out to you? And I guess we can extend this to both Simmons and uh, Joel now. What are your thoughts, Adam? Adam? I'm gonna go the young guys. I think
1: is is what I want. I want as much Shake Milton and Matisse Thibel as Brett Brown is willing to give me, um, just because those are the two guys. I mean, Chris, you talked about, and I, I what I largely agree with you is about like Ben and Joe being your cornerstones and being ready for big change because i don't think this team is built to compete it's built clunky it's built awkward it's not built around your two generational type players um and i'd be i'd welcome big change but i think the two guys like other than tobias that you probably want to keep around are theibel and and milton just because their deals are so friendly and shake has shown you that there's something there and matisse is just such a a great defensive talent so as much as Brett Brown is willing to give me Shake Milton and Matisse Theibel even in a playoff scenario, I will take it and I hope they play well because I think it could be some really good experience for them.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think Matisse without Ben really is going to have to step up defensively. They really need him to, to kind of help fill that void even if no one on the roster is at Ben's level. Um, and I think they need Al Horford to continue doing what he's doing. Uh, I wrote about this. He's really still the most logical, you know, replacement at power forward. Even if, even if that's not ideal with him next to Joel, I think he does a lot of things that the Sixers can take advantage of with Ben off the floor. And, you know, he was pretty much a complete zero and non-factor negative before this bubble. He hasn't been since the Sixers have arrived in Orlando. And that just needs to be the case moving forward. I don't think any of us are super optimistic about Philly's playoff chances, but if they are going to do anything of note, you know, Al can't be the Al that we've seen for most of the season. You know, he needs to be a productive member of the rotation. And, again, you know, he's been that. So, hopefully, you know, that that continues.
0: So, yeah, I think Al's one of those players. Like, another player that I really wish would step up, and maybe it's just me having to – I think it's partially – us as a fan base has hyped him up too much to shake Milton. I would like to see the shake Milton that we saw before the break, but maybe that's just too much to ask of a second year player. From you know, like uh, Spike Eskin said last week, he's a second year player that was a late second round pick. Maybe we're asking too much, but I would really like to see Milton shake, uh, step up. But I think you guys hit it on the head with the other guys like Matisse and Al Horford, those guys for sure.
3: Yeah, and 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 Like, outside of that Indiana game, I I think Shake has been pretty solid in Orlando. You know, he hasn't dropped 39 on anyone, but, I mean, he's done just about everything you could have asked for him. He's definitely the most confident shooter on the team, and, you know, he had eight assists in the Orlando game. Um, And with Ben out, he's going to be playing a lot more of a true point guard role, which we haven't seen him in a ton this season, so that's going to be interesting to monitor moving forward. But I, I do think the Shake experience so far has been a mostly positive one, even if it's not been as, you know, explosive and colorful as it was before the break. And I, I think as far as, you know, where my expectations were, he, he's been right on par, maybe even a little bit ahead of him, because, you know, I've been mostly impressed with his
0: poise. Fair enough. And I think it's time for our, our uh, social media poll of the week,
2: Uriah. Okay, gentlemen. So I have in front of me the social media poll of the week and it uh, went across Facebook and Twitter, and I will definitely highlight the two uh, followers of The Sixer Cents who gave a really good response and got a lot of attention. So the question of the week is, who would you trade for Ben Simmons? And the three options were Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, and Bradley Beal. We'll start with the Facebook response. Uh, Kevin Charles Jones Sr. Damian Lillard. This man is a alpha and has proved his worth big time when the lights are on in the playoffs. And as you saw tonight against the Sixers, he dropped the 50 piece. And I would agree with that. I wouldn't mind him on the Sixers. And if I go to the Twitter response, Twitter follower David. All right. David hyphen 19 in quarantine. He tried to do a play on words, but COVID-19 um, at Dro 2593. He agrees with our Facebook follower. He said Dame without any shred of hesitation love Ben to death. But Dame kind of solves every single one of our offensive problems by himself. A Lillard Embiid combination is lethal in the extreme. What do you guys think? Who would you guys take in exchange for Ben Simmons?
1: I I, I don't want to hop on uh, what the social media followers are saying, but I'm I'm also going to go Lillard man especially after watching him drop a 50-piece on us tonight, just how dynamic he is as a point guard. Because he is a true one. He he runs your offense for you. He's a floor general. He's got unlimited range. I mean, you talk about a guy, it, it's like Steph Curry range. And it feels like we've only seen Steph Curry take these, like, crazy deep three-point shots. But Lillard is doing it more and more, especially this season, where he feel, looks like he feels – comfortable like 10 feet beyond the three-point line which is ridiculous and he really does solve all your problems if you think about a lineup um let's just say we plug and play him right now if we swapped him for ben simmons lillard richardson harris horford and and joe that's crazy you have twin towers down low you've got lillard fixing your spacing issue hitting deep threes he can score yeah, guys, I, I got to go Lillard. I think they're a finals team if, if they've if they got Lillard in that one spot.
0: Yeah, so uh, I think Lillard's the obvious answer. And, you know, Adam, you hit a lot of good points there. One other thing that I would like to add is that Lillard, I mean, he's the only guy that we know for a fact can carry a team. Booker hasn't done it in Phoenix. And, you know, Beal's not even in the bubble right now. And, uh, you know, Beals always had John Wall to help him. Beals only made the playoffs when him and Wall were both in the lineup. So, you know, at this point, you know, Damian, yeah, he had CJ. But, you know, obviously Damian's – CJ's not even an all-star. I mean, maybe maybe CJ McCollum should be an all-star, but he hasn't been. And so with that in mind, I'm going to go with Damian for that reason.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean not to go chalk here, but I, I think it has to be Lillard as well. Um, I I really don't think Portland's going to trade Damian anytime soon. I don't think Phoenix is going to trade Booker either. I think Beal is obviously the most feasible candidate here. And I'm not training Ben for for Beal, just straight up. I I don't think that's that's worth it for Philadelphia. As great as Beal has been, you know, he's averaging over 30 a game. Props to him. He's a great player. Ben's better. But, you know, Booker makes you think he's more in line with Embiid's timeline, I guess, than Lillard would be. He's the youngest guy on this list. And we've all seen what he's been doing in Orlando. You know, he's been lighting it up. He looks really good. He's a really talented player. Um, but but Lillard's definitely the best player here by a country mile. Like you said, Adam. Like you said, Lucas. He he's, he pretty much gives you everything the Sixers need in terms of a deep shooter. Spaces the floor. Is dynamic in the pick and roll. Can create his own offense off the dribble with ease. You know, pretty much puts pressure on the defense as soon as he. Steps across half court, and if you pair that with Embiid, who draws double teams constantly, who puts as much pressure on the rim as he does, you know that's a really difficult duo to properly defend, almost regardless of who you put around them. So, um, I, I really don't see a future in which Portland is trading Dame, but if he does, you know, request to trade, it's most teams aren't going to be able, you know, be able to be beat a package that includes Ben Simmons. So, if that future does happen, if that timeline does play out uh, and the Sixers want Dame and they're willing to give up Ben, I think that's, you know, something that they can make happen. But but I, I would not count on it.
0: Yeah, I think obviously if we trade for Dame, it'd probably take – it's crazy to say, but we would probably have to add a sweetener into that deal along with Ben. Um, and for the other two players, I would try to get them to build around Ben and Joel, not replace one of them. I think that's that's something that's fair to say. But um mm-hmm. I think that's uh that's about it. Uh I know your wanted Devin Booker,
2: uh out of the three. I, I like Devin Booker because he's younger and I think that he can even be greater than he's shown us. So and I love Damian Lillard, but I wouldn't be mad if we had D Book. Of course, I agree with everyone, but I, I wouldn't mind Booker because he's just he's younger and I think he's yet to even reach his potential.
0: Fair. Very fair. I think at this point Chris it's about that time that you play us out.
3: Yeah and just the big thanks to you Adam for coming on the podcast. We really enjoyed it and you know we hope you can come on again in the future.
1: Hey guys it was a lot of fun. I really love talking Sixers with you guys so I uh, enjoyed the heck out of it.
3: We really had fun. I think this was a really strong episode You can follow Adam on Twitter at Adam underscore G-I-B-11. We recommend that you do that. We recommend that you go read all his stuff at the site. He's a really talented writer. and, And we, again, hope to have him on in the future. And to all you listening out there, we, again, really appreciate it. I know there's a lot going on in the world nowadays. A lot of people are under a severe amount of stress. And we really appreciate you guys spending an hour of your day or your night or your commute in the morning, wherever you are, you know, talking Sixers basketball with us. It means the world. We have some very exciting guests coming up in the future, and we cannot wait to keep it going. So we'll see y'all next week.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition, ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.
1: Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it?
2: I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me
1: make my point. 96%